The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right. It's the post-NCAA tournament. Major League Baseball first pitch, Masters Week edition with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, the pro better, Steve Fezzik. In front of me, Brad Powers. I'm R.J. Bell. And guys, we just ran down the broad topics, but boy, we've got some fun stuff for you. We are going to recap college basketball, the NCAA tournament, Villanova. Just how good are they? We're going to go and look at history and give you the answer from Vegas. Also, the million-dollar Michigan ticket, how much did he hedge? Fezzik with his $16,000 ticket. Boy, those dastardly bookies hate him. What did he do with it? Perfect bracket odds and an early look at the 2018-19 odds. We'll see if Brad likes anyone. He does like a few. Also, from Dave Esler, as good as he is in college basketball, and you heard it for months, probably even better in baseball. Overrated team, underrated team, few over or an overrated, underrated pitcher, and a free pick for Wednesday. We're going to talk NBA. How do you handicap the last week of the season? One team to play on, one team to play off, and the Masters and the biggest coupon, if you want to get something premium, we've ever given on the Dream Preview. Yep, there's that much going on. Showtime! Woo! All right, Brad, it's simple. How good is this Villanova team? Let's just talk NCAA tournament for starters. Villanova only the second team ever to win all six games by 12 points or more. The only other team to do that, the 2009 North Carolina team. You go to the two major power ratings that at least drive the market. We're talking Jeff Sagarin. We're talking Ken Palm. I went back through it since 2002, since Ken Palm started doing his ratings. He actually has Villanova number four. Top team being the 2015 Kentucky team, notable for starting the season 38-0. First loss came in the final seconds of the final four against Wisconsin, followed by the 2008 Kansas team, 2002 Duke, and then number four would be Villanova. That is Ken Palm's top four teams since 2002. Same time period since 2002, using Jeff Sagarin. Villanova a lot lower at number nine, Top team, again, agreement with Ken Palm, 2015 Kentucky team. Also agreement at number two, the 2008 Kansas team. So in the last 17, 18 years, clearly Villanova, one of the better teams that we've seen. Now, very impressive, I would say, that they Villanova is that high on that list. But let's be candid. That's relative to the competition. So if somehow, some way back in 2000. Four, let's say. Now, this wasn't the case, but let's just say it was. If you couldn't dunk the ball or there were no three-pointers or anyone over 6'8 couldn't play. Like, obviously, the athleticism is probably a little bit better 2018 to 2002, right? It's been 16 years, a lot of nutrition. As Hannibal Lecter would say, some length of bone. But... (laughs) You remember that? Yes. But... (laughs) But with those shoes, Clary's, is... (laughs) <laughs> the 
I would make the case it's the style of play. And we were debating this on our Fox National show straight out of Vegas Friday and Saturday nights on Fox National Radio, sports radio, is that Villanova was the one really good team playing the most modern basketball. Now, as we watch the finals, an open question here, how much of it was how much better Villanova was with their players? And how much was this margin about their style of play being more modern and more effective? I'd say 50-50. I don't think Villanova is going to wow anyone with a bunch of top 10, top 15 draft picks. In fact, I only think right now they only have one Mikhail Bridges out of their f- top five or six players. So not necessarily a talent level. It's just So let's look at that. If yeah. we were just calculating and there was some algorithm that said every year in the NBA you get one point and we're projecting like what we expect these players to do. And every year as an all-star, you get two. And every year as an all-NBA, you get three. So there, so someone that was LeBron or whatever might be worth uh, 40 points, right? A guy that played one year and wasn't an all-star might be worth one point. So it's like, okay, we're rating what kind of careers we expect from all the players on each team in college basketball, 351. Is Villanova in the top five? In the country? Yeah. Hmm. Close. I would say probably in that five to 10 range. So with pure talent, now college talent and NBA talent are two different things, but with college talent, where do they rank in the top five, but are they the best? Mm, I, I I don't think so. No, not, not clear. So who, above. Who, who would be in, in the conversation as far as college mm-hmm. top five talent, meaning because uh, the college game, you know, a guy like for or whatever, he was great in college. His game, Morrison was another example. His game was good in college. I can remember Wayman Tisdale <laughs> back in the day. He was tough in college. Is But then those guys get to the pros and they don't play as well. Guy like Kawhi Leonard, his game, you know, he was, he's a relatively better in the, in, in the pros, meaning, I mean, obviously his injury and all the other X factors now, but still a top 10 player for sure. And he wasn't even a top 10 draft choice that year. Right. So different styles. So just considering the college game, pure talent, meaning you're going to draft these guys to play a college season. Does Villanova have the most high picks? And if not, who's in the mix? I think Purdue, Michigan State's in the mix right there with Villanova as far as just college only. Uh, Now that I'm thinking about it, when you were going along and thank you for that, giving me a little chance to think about it. Villanova might come out number one there, but definitely not clear cut above anyone else that I said, you know, I had to think about it. It took me a minute to think about it. I've right, good so, talent, not great talent. So if you, so if we're saying good talent, not great talent for Villanova, but we're saying they're one of the best three, four, five teams of the last 16 years, then it has to be about scheme. Yep. Thus, couldn't the case be made that because their scheme is so modern, that if we did have a time machine and we look at these teams that we think would be very competitive with them, and you named, I think, two that are super consistent with Sagarin, with Kempom, and those two being uh, 2015 Kentucky, 2008 Kansas, the same one and two, both with Kempom, Sagarin, and your Vegas rankings over the years, right? Is so it is clear those are the two best by all three of the majors we're using. Could I make the case Villanova beats them if there were a time machine? 
because of the the way they're playing that this team maybe couldn't those other teams couldn't handle it. Definitely Kansas in 08. Kentucky just I mean it'd be two contrasting styles of play. Kentucky had three, four guys that were six ten, six eleven. Now, I mean, how would Villanova fare down low? But how would those guys get out and guard Villanova? It would just be super contrasting styles of play. I'm not sure how what would get you know get ahead in that particular matchup. So Fez, to kind of recap and look to move forward here, tell us what you think. We got some conclusions. One, even if you're just looking relative to competition, top five team, and if not just a smidge better than that, Villanova this year, going back to, let's say, 2002. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree. All right. Now, I would make the case that a big chunk of this differential, this this uh, marginal performance above, let's say, a good team is about the scheme they're running. And we can talk about how good the coach is, but I think it's more about the scheme. I agree, and it's the scheme has complementary players to fit the scheme. So you've got five guys that can all shoot from three. So what happens is that teams just can't defend Villanova, whereas you've got some of these great basketball teams that had three monsters down low, but only two of the guys could shoot threes, and Villanova... Maybe they don't have the better NBA athletes, but you put all of them at the court at the same time, and every one of these players becomes better. That's a good point. Now, Brad, you were talking about, and I want to get the exact numbers, the players that were significant and and impactful for this Villanova team this year is how many of those were impactful when they won the title the year before last? About four of them. Really, two were major contributors. Four of them played sparingly, you know, some solid minutes. We're in the top six, seven in the rotation. So if I said the next five years, you're going to win $10,000, it's a free roll. Every time the team you pick wins the national title, what's your top? And again, I'm hitting you. I'm hitting you right now (laughs) with no prep. So you got to do it quick. (laughs) Which... What would be your top five where national title tally over the next five years wins you 10000 bucks? Duke would be one. Villanova would be two. Uh, Kansas would be three. Kentucky, four. And maybe Michigan State, five. Well, you're still giving Izzo credit. Yeah, I am. Well, I, I didn't want to sit here and really meander no, that that's last a good five teams. That's yeah. a good point. So you have opt because my point would be, hey, it feels like there's been a lot of cross. There was a lot of crossover. Who performed three years ago or two years ago? However you want to look at it, who performed this year? But as you look at the younger players, the way he's recruiting, pedigree now with two national titles, you think he's going to keep Villanova rolling? Absolutely, and starting next year. Hint, hint. Uh, when we look forward here in a minute or two. I think there's incredible value of Villanova right now at eight to one to win next year's title. Top five of their top six players right now are com- likely to come back. One thing that may hurt Villanova within the next five years, and I do think this is going to happen, that three point line likely is going to move back within five years. That will make the Villanova system weaker. Yeah, but I mean, how? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess I just can never predict. I mean, do they have it planned that they're going to. Like you're just talking about some op-ed you read somewhere. I mean, what makes you so sure? I'm not sure. There's well, already experimentation in the NIT this year. They already moved it back. And a lot of times these NIT r- rules, suggestions, changes, they try it out as a pilot 
the NCAA looks at it and it becomes a precursor. Yeah, but I would also argue that if Villanova's already shooting threes better at the current, why wouldn't they be yeah, really good? It, well, I, I think Fezzik's logic's oh. good, which is the harder it is naturally to shoot something, your differential, your ability to be above average at it is worth less, right? Just yeah. use an extreme case. If they made the three-pointer 40 feet, right? Yeah. You might be better shooting a 40 feet, but it's not as good of a shot, yeah. right? Fair so, enough. but I, again, let, let's just put that as the next factor. All right, changing topics. Colin Cowherd was on the her today talking about Villanova's debunked the one and done. The idea that when Duke and Kentucky, the sense was, hey, yeah, you're playing for second. The Wisconsin's of the world, you're playing for second. Is if you can't get a top five, top seven player, the kind of player that would have been a lottery pick in the draft if they weren't forced to come to college for a year, you're playing for second. Villanova doesn't have any of those, right? No. And two out of three titles. Is this just a matter of Villanova? The scheme, some good player, or would you say in the next, and let's do it again, in the next five years, if we said we're going to you know, bundle together five or six of the real one-and-done type teams, can't even, you know, I know Kansas doesn't have all, but can't, who, the teams that really have a shot at the very best players every year, right? So who is that? That's Duke, that's North Carolina, that's Kentucky, that's Kansas. Yep. Who's fifth there? Michigan State. Yeah, so and that's a big drop. Yep. Right. So let's say those four, would you say that your optimism for their their titles in the next couple years is less because, hey, Villanova's proven you don't have to be one of those schools? Or is this just Villanova's the exception that proves the rule that you need to get the very best players or you've got to have some other big advantage. I'm a little indifferent. I think it's too small of a sample size at this point. We're only talking. So you're, you're neutral. I'm neutral. Indifferent means like you're saying I'm wasting time asking you the question. No, I'm neutral. <laughs> I will bring up. I mean, I know North Carolina won it two years ago, but that was not a one and done North Carolina team. That was a North Carolina team that was led by juniors and seniors. So now just not Villanova. We're talking the last three title teams have been not one and done a caliber of a Duke or a Kentucky. I think the weakness of the one and dones is a lot of these kids, even the guards don't shoot well from three. They don't Ooh. develop that shot, especially the big men. How, how often do we see a one and done big man be able to shoot a three almost never. And because of that, that's a big weakness as the three point shot gets more and more taken advantage of. Fezzik's the number one gambler right now. Bill Simmons said Fezzik's the number <laughs> one gambler. That was sharp. It was. Because the point you're making is, and I think it's pretty obvious, but it bears repeating, is the style of play now, almost like if you push back the three-point line, it would hurt the style of play Villanova. With the style of plays, you need five guys to shoot outside well, and you do need some big men, and these very young big men are typically that are these top five types are typically not great shooters. They got the physicality, but they're not great shooters. So the more, so who is that's interesting. If we looked at all the one and dones of the last five years, so how many, how many a year are there? I mean, my, I, again, I don't follow college basketball as closely, like maybe five or six a year they get drafted in the first Eight round. To 10. But eight to ten in the first round or one and done? Yeah, I mean, Kentucky has like four of them themselves. And okay. really, one and done teams are pretty – it's right, just so let's Duke say and eight, Kentucky. Let's say eight and eight. 
Well, Kansas doesn't have any. I mean, they they have like three uh, maybe or four, one guy. They'll... Nothing like Duke and Kentucky, where they'll have maybe one a year, one guy. Well, looking at Kansas, they had Wiggins. They have the big Philadelphia guy. So, but I hear you. You're saying uh, if you just look at the last five years, the count it's going to be Duke. It's going to be Kentucky with the most. So, if you're saying eight, let's say eight a year for five years, so forty amongst those forty, one and done's in the last five years, and, and we're broad guessing here estimating how many were like super elite outside shooters and how many were one and done because they were so physically mature outside shooting four or five out of the 40 i would say more physically mature that's why they're drafted so that's fascinating fezzik's point the idea that the way the game is moving which villanova's leading the way the type of player that's one and done isn't the type of player that can exploit the current, typically isn't the type of player that can exploit the current most uh, optimal way to play college basketball. So you're going to always have these guys you hear that are, oh, that guy's going to be the number one pick in the draft. It's except where's he rank right now as an effective college player? Probably not number one. No. Pregame.com, we're recapping college basketball. Okay. Derek Stevens got a ton of attention on this on my Twitter. Um, Derek actually is scheduled next Tuesday to be in studio for a long form Vegas truth interview. So with a guy who owns a casino, you never know might be delayed, but that's coming up. So we'll really dig in with him and his thought process and a lot of Vegas related stuff to sports betting, et cetera. He ended up betting three hundred thousand to win a hundred thousand or three hundred sixty, I think, if I'm remembering to win a hundred on Michigan. So he, or I'm sorry, check that on uh, Villanova. So he won his hundred thousand. And remember, for those that don't remember, he had a ticket twenty five thousand to win a million, but he ended up spending I think fifty thousand hedging in the semis and lost. And then he had his original $25,000 ticket. So uh, he's he ended up winning, if all that all the public reports are correct, $25,000. So he was one game away and uh, of a million. And he would have had a real nice win, right? Because he would have lost the 360 plus the fit. So he would have won about, what, 600 if Michigan would have won. So 600 or 25. <laughs> Not mm. much of a hedge. <laughs> well, but I yeah. listen. I, I like that he did an overhedge. Now, speaking of speaking <laughs> of hedging, let's go to I'm the dirtiest player in the game. So Fez, you had a ticket. How is it that every time there's jumbo tickets circulating, you've got one? It's almost like you're printing them at home. Well, you're always you know, you never sleep. Twenty four seven you stay awake and you find opportunities like this. Twenty four seven, he says. All right. So you had a ticket for risk four hundred dollars. Michigan forty to one to win it all. Paid would have paid sixteen thousand. Okay, now we're going to talk about what you did with that. Um, Brad was the driver on straight out of Vegas, right? I think what semifinals had just finished the Big Ten tournament. And on Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's Fox National Radio. That's Pacific Time, Friday, Saturday night, renewed for 
the whole offseason heading into next football. We're excited about that. And I also put the podcast out on my Twitter every Saturday and Sunday morning, the, the show from the night before at RJ in Vegas. So, Brad, you were like, I'm betting Michigan. I love it, 40 to 1. Faz, you're smart enough to say Brad knows what he's talking about. You took off the rubber band. Literally, it was like the scene from Rain Man where I'm Tom Cruise talking to Dustin Hoffman, and he's talking about Michigan 40 so you, to 1. So just to be clear, you're the Tom Cruise. In this case, usually I'd be the Dustin Hoffman. So I run but, out but to you're my... you're Tom Cruise. I'm Tom Cruise. I run out to the car. Literally, I got something on the hood. I don't care. I'm just bolting out of here. I am going to a casino to get down at 40 to 1. Rain Man, let's play some Michigan. We're counting cards. <laughs> All right. So you also had definitely, a ticket. Definitely. You also had a ticket. And what was your ticket for? $100, Michigan 40 to 1 to win 4000 All right. So let's quickly talk about how you hedged... Faz, and I get this question, we get this question more than any other question, is when, how to hedge. So quickly, give us the details on what you did, Fezzik. Okay, 16000 would have been a nice payday, not life-altering for me. So I really did not want to hedge it. However, I liked Villanova in this game. Because of that, I am looking to get down and reduce my exposure on Michigan. So I played Villanova on the money line. And I went ahead and played half of my exposure. I had about a $16,000 possible win. I took half of that, $8,000, put it on the money line, laid three to make one. So $8,000 to win $26.67 on Villanova. I also made some various prop bets, and I, I tried to manage my portfolio as best I could, RJ, recognizing I had more liability, more upside on Michigan. So I'm trying to put the props that I like that are good on Villanova examples of things I bet. I bet Villanova minus 200 on the money line to win the first half. I also bet a prop Villanova to make more free throws bets that I may or may not have made if I didn't have this Michigan ticket, but I knew as I was betting Villanova, Hey, if these wins Villanova is probably going to go ahead and win the game. So they help to reduce my overall exposure on Michigan. He felt like a brain surgeon. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Now, Let's talk about the general principles of hedging. If it's life-changing money, you hedge. Doesn't really matter if you're, uh, well, you'd ideally not have a big expense around it, but it's the old example. $100 million ticket that's 50-50, it's worth $50 million. I'll take $30 million for it because that $30 million is so, so life-changing for me. And obviously using a jumbo number just to make it simple for almost everyone listening. And as I said, though, on uh, this weekend on the radio, I'd be cool if we had a billionaire saying a hundred million. I just let that baby go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so we poured in any billionaires. I'd like to hear about it. Now, the second time you hedge. So if it's life changing money, yes, is if you would have bet the hedge bet by itself because it's positive EV. And in meaning, hey, if you were naked, meaning no initial bet. And you like Villanova enough to bet him? Well, you're certainly going to bet him. You're not going to like say, "I'm not going to. I'm going to hold this ticket that runs contrary to what I think is a winning bet." It's like, wow, you get the best of both worlds, right? You get to make another positive, profitable bet, at least long term in your mind. And number two, you are mitigating your risk, right? That's what a hedge is. But a hedge usually costs you. It's expensive. In this case, it's not expensive. So with Villanova, 
I think you would have made a small play if you were naked. Thus, because you were getting the utility of the hedge too, you probably bet more on Villanova than you would have. Yeah, exactly right. And truth be told, I actually played some Villanova minus six and a half. I didn't want to bring it up because I would have looked awfully foolish to lose both bets if Villanova had won by one to six points. But I made a small wager on Villanova, figuring, well, it could happen, but unlikely it lands in that corridor. Another bet that somewhat reduces my overall portfolio risk. And and, and it's as you get into the idea of the Kelly criterion, and again, a lot of people will never get into this, and I'm you know fairly well-versed on it, but I'm certainly not that next-level expert. And this is what hedge funds, if you read about hedge funds, the correlate, and, and a lot of these, there's a pretty famous book. Um, it was about the downfall of long-term capital management was the name of the company. And this was in the late 90s, uh, mid to late 90s. And they had all kind of literally Nobel laureate, uh, Nobel laureates on their team. And it was like, these guys got more brain power than anybody. And nobody felt like they could ever really lose money long-term. And the name of the book is When Genius Failed. And a great read, When Genius Failed. And what they ended up figuring out was their models didn't understand there'd be correlations where they didn't see correlations. So they said, well, we've got a billion over here in Russia, but if that goes down, well, the uh, you know South American futures on gold wouldn't really be affected. But what ended up, we found out now in 2008, and we I think it was a Russian monetary crisis actually in, in the late 90s that caused was the first step of their problems in the book When Genius Fails with, uh, Failed with Long-Term Capital Management was the idea that there was correlations where they didn't see them and that when the whole world feels like there's a big problem, everything goes down. And that's why we've seen serious major companies go down when you would think all their models would account for it, but they don't because there's more correlation. So, the amount in sports betting, there's not a ton of correlation between games, right? Now we've talked about times. There's a little bit where if it's early in the year and if this team wins this game and they, let's say that win in week two causes the team they played in week one to look better because the team wins in week two and looks really impressive. You would say, okay, well, however the result in week one was against their opponent, that week one opponent has to be upgraded just a smidge. So there's some areas you could say there's a little correlation. And obviously at the in playoffs, NFL especially, if one team wins, another team's eliminated from the playoffs, so there's correlation. And we try to exploit that. But in general, there's very little correlation. So it's like a blackjack hand. Well, though, you know, obviously you're gonna have a count and that's gonna affect how much you bet. But in general, there's a lot of individual instances of bets. And the question is, what do you think your expectation is? How much do you want to risk? That's the Kelly criterion is the calculation of that. But Fez, when you are betting something that if one wins, the other loses and vice versa. Well, the old saying is, I if Bill Gates wanted to bet, it's almost like a bookmaker. If Bill Gates wanted to bet a billion dollars on the Steelers opening day, and some other billionaire wanted to bet a billion on the Steelers opponent, Warren Buffett, let's say, I could sit and, and, and literally book that with no money in my pocket because they're perfectly inversely correlated. 
And thus I can't lose, right? That's the old. So is it simple enough to say, or and maybe you can clarify a little bit here, because I think with this stuff, in fact, I'm certain you're more advanced than me, is when you are betting things that have this inverse correlation, it allows you to bet more, right? Because they're, they're, you really can't lose them both, especially if they're perfectly inversely correlated. Absolutely. So you theoretically should just keep betting until you're actually indifferent as to the outcome. In this case, I... If you like the second bet. If I like the second bet. The reason I didn't like the money line bet on Villanova as much is I had forecast that I was going to get a cheaper than minus 300 money line. I was expecting that I'd get almost completely flat because I would get dealt a minus 270 by one of the books in town, similar to the Super Bowl phenomenon with a cheap money line. Never happened in the title game. So that's interesting. So let's just say for the this your initial bet was a modest amount to win 16000 you wouldn't necessarily be risking 16000 as a normal play if you like Villanova, but because you were that inverse correlation, if you really liked the Villanova bet, you would have bet enough, like you said, to get flat, to get neutral, because Kelly doesn't matter now because of the inverse correlation. Exactly correct. All right, so that's interesting. Now let's shift a little more generally, because people listening very closely might say, wait a minute, hold the phone, Fezzik, if that is your name. <laughs> Mr. Fezzik is, you always talk about mechanical parlays. Now, we're going to talk about, because there was another instance with Loyola that they were 70 to 1 to win the region, and the mechanical parlay paid about 25 to 1, them winning the four games to win the region. So for newbie listeners, mechanical parlay is instead of playing a future, you bet individual bets on the events, either a series or a game, series in the NBA, let's say, that lead to a team winning the title. And the mechanical parlay has a bunch of advantages. You can shop numbers. If you want to hedge out at the end, you can hedge for free because you just don't bet the amount of money, all kind of advantages. But we now have two examples in one tournament in which Villanova, is if you would have done a mechanical parlay, your hundred would have profited 280, 282 or so. So hundred would have turned into 382, take away your original hundred. So plus 282 or better. Well, you could have got five to one, right, Brad, on yep. Villanova. And then we had Loyola 25 to one versus 70 to one. So we're going to talk about, do we want to caveat your unadulterated love of mechanical parlays and obviously you got to answer for you betting a future yourself, but real quick. So what was your net result on that future ticket with all your action? Wound up winning 3,800. Pretty nice. And Brad, how'd you do? I ended up winning right around 900. So you hedged out pretty, you hedged out to neutral. Neutral. I would have, if Villanova would have won, I would have won about 900. If Michigan would have won, I'd have won closer to a thousand. And if you follow Brad, on Twitter, you'll see he bets a bunch of futures because you are shopping, you're cherry picking, you're seeing the ebbs and flows. Um, I would say during a typical college football season, how many future tickets will you have in your pocket? Seven to ten. Yeah. And college basketball? A little fewer, maybe five to seven. Okay. All right. So, Fez, when mechanical parlay 
when future. Mechanical parlay is your basic strategy. 95% of the time, you're going to engineer. 95. At least. <laughs> at least. It's, it's like blackjack basic strategy. This is how you play. And if you have an ace and an eight against a D or five, you stand. However, there will be times you want to double down under special circumstances in blackjack when there's a lot of tens and aces left. But in this case, there are times when you don't play the mechanical parlay. So just to be clear, I want you to say it again. What percentage of the time do you think the mechanical parlay is correct? At least 95% of the time, the mechanical parlay is correct. And that is the way to invest in futures. But there are exceptions. You seem mighty sure yourself. I am. (laughs) All right, so what are the exceptions? Exception, Exception number one, you have a team that's very much undervalued by the marketplace. Now, typically... And undervalued. Now, any team that you bet on a future you think is undervalued. Yes, but usually the most identifiable ones are when something has changed. The story has changed. The team's power rating has just shot upwards. Maybe someone was injured. They came back. Maybe like in the Michigan case, they suddenly had a performance that was greatly exceeding what their year-to-date performance has been, and the marketplace is going to identify it rapidly, and you got to get to it quickly. It's probably only going to be there for a couple days. The other example... So it's not so much how underrated they are. It's the source of their underratedness is going to be public quick. Yes. And so it's, it's a race to get to that number. Now, the second situation is when you have an undervalued team and it's not so obvious, and now you got a little bit more time to go ahead and find value. I would argue Loyola Chicago to win their region falls into that bucket where we had a number 11 seed that really was the strength of, say, an eight seed. And because of that, you had value playing them at 70, 75 to one to win the region. Now, the marketplace recognized it, but it took longer and they really only found it after those numbers had come out and been up for a day or two. I got to be honest, what you said about Loyola sounded like a bunch of jibber jabber because you said, well, they, sh- they were an 11, they should have been an eight. But by definition, anyone that's going to win a region has to win their first game. They have to win their second game. They have to win their third game. So what was Loyola winning their first game or their second game any more impressive than any other 11 seed that would have done it? Why, why, if the theory is the act of 11 seed winning that first and second game is going to cause this huge reevaluation, then it's going to happen every time. And that's the future bet. Every time that 11 wins the four games, we're talking about winning a region now. So four wins. How is Loyola any different than any other, let's say, 11 seed that you are going to bet to win a region? Because typically an 11 seed is going to be catching three and a half points against a six seed, three to three and a half. In this case, they played Miami of Florida. They were only catching one and a half. And that was known when the 70 to one was out there. If no, the odds makers really did not do a good job looking at that spread and evaluating how strong Loyola was. They made a mistake. Okay, so now there's another example of when you play a future is when the future price is mispriced. Yes. <laughs> that seems like a fundamental time to play a future that wasn't <laughs> wasn't in your methodology. That's that's certainly true, and it doesn't come up very often, but this was a clear case of value at 70 to 1 or higher. What do you mean it doesn't come up very often? I think there's more examples, Brad. I mean, we, the famous story... I guess it's been six, seven years now where someone had St. Louis Cardinals that I think the MGM had them at nine ninety nine to one. 
And yeah, it was going to be tough to make the playoffs. But if you actually did the math, they said it was like 200 to one. And they got beat her, you know, a couple nice tickets on that. It happens more often at the end of a season when you've got a team that's virtually eliminated from the playoffs, like St. Louis. And all of a sudden they go five and oh, and their competitors lose. And the odds maker, one select odds maker drops the ball and doesn't adjust the odds. So that, but isn't that what we're, isn't that the business that we're in looking around and trying to find those roads. In fact, we're going to be announcing in the next month or two, a program in which Fezzik is going to be going around almost like those food guys that go around looking to eat, let, let's say uh, snails or something <laughs> that are deep, you know, somehow deep fried in alligator butter or some, some crazy stuff. You're going to be driving to crazy parts of Nevada or paying someone to drive, buying tickets where you're betting 75 to win some crazy number because they've got rogue numbers out. Isn't that the business we're in? This is the business we've chosen. Absolutely. Case in point to year 2000, the LA second NFL championship. I remember going to Prim and correction, Pahrump. Pahrump had Denver <laughs> four to one to win the NFL after they started two weeks into the season when they're defending champions, great value. Okay, so I think it's important to add the idea that that when are you betting against the market, the consensus, futures, and maybe your list is fine, but I think you're probably missing something that I'm going to get to. But then you always got to have a caveat if there's a rogue number, a wrong number out there, Obviously, a mechanical parlay won't be able to replicate that most of the time. Th- that absolutely, and you might well see that rogue number what even at a major book. Me? What he, would you do without me? I don't know what I would do. <laughs> trying to formulate all this, it, it, it's not just the rogue book has to be a crazy little small sports book. Yeah. In this case, look at Villanova. There are some major books out there that instead of having Villanova at plus three fifty, had them as high as five to one or even five and a half to one right before this tournament started, there was value there. Yeah. I th- five to one was out there for sure. I think there's one more case. Well, you've got one more, right? Which I, we were joking about what would you do without me? I hadn't thought of this one. So dominant teams, you might want to look to play futures. It's like, wow. Like, like golden state, if you would have liked them, obviously when they were two thirty. now in hindsight, it wasn't a good number, um, compared to today's number, right? Golden State's going way down. But a team like a Golden State, it's minus money versus the field. You think future bets are better than mechanical parlays? Yeah, almost always. Well, not almost always, but quite often, you will do better playing the favorite, playing into the futures pool instead of playing uh, into the mechanical parlay idea. And the reason is people betting into the futures don't want to go ahead and bet a little to bet a lot to win a little. They want to bet something where there's a significant payback. They, the, the books hold their money for a long period of time. And so because of that, it's not unusual. Use that Golden State example. Last year, when Golden State was clicking on all cylinders, you could have bet Golden State minus 140 to go ahead and win the title. And no one wanted to do it, but there was great value. A couple months later, Golden State was over a two-to-one favorite. In fact, instead of the futures pool, they pulled that off and made Golden State versus the field, a prop, and Golden State became like a minus 215 favorite at one point. But they didn't pull it off of the futures field. They had a separate bet. Yeah, they just copied the number, yes. So to me, but the theory was since they were to get in two-sided action, then they could inflate it a little bit more and be comfortable, get it to the number that was more justified in your mind. 
it makes a ton of sense, right? Is anytime there's an artificial reason that something doesn't get bet, then the market price is going to be off in theory. If people aren't betting this dominant NFL team because you got to lay minus 150 and it seems crazy to lay 150 against the field, if that team is that dominant, oftentimes it should be minus 230, but it's really minus 150 because there's an artificial reason it's not being bet. So that's another time. I think there's one more, and this is I, I pretty much the NCAA tournament I think is the best example of this. But if there's a, a dominant team in any other league, like Golden State now, or let's say Golden State last year, Houston is competitive, obviously, now. So let's say Houston didn't exist. And let's say you like Portland. You look at Portland and you're like, oh, they've got this, they've got that. And you can get a jumbo number on Portland. If you believe that the team Golden State's playing, let's say Portland and Golden State would play in the Western finals, the way it lines up right before the playoffs. So everyone sat one to eight and you think it was a heck of a chance, a heck of a chance that who Golden State is going to play in the semis of the Western conference. So the second round can beat them much better. And you might actually be looking to make a major bet on that series. I think you bet the future for Portland because the theory is their path at that jumbo number, they're probably only going to make it if there's a couple of ups, or let's say in this case, one upset. And if the upset does happen that they don't pull off, then the team they're going to play in the, the conference finals in this hypothetical, they wouldn't be getting near the underdog price that they would against Golden State, who they you don't think they could be. But for whatever reason, you don't think Golden State's going to make it. So let's use Loyola as an example. Even as good as they were as an 11, if the brackets would have held other than their upsets, odds are much less that they would have made the final four. If they had to play Virginia, whatever. Virginia lost one game. Virginia still, where are they at in your end of Number season? Number three. Number three. Right? Loyola has to play the third best team. Their odds of making the final four become less. But if you're thinking, hey, I like I think Virginia is is going to have trouble in the first couple rounds for whatever reason. Probably not the sixteen versus one, but you know I think this eight has a good chance. Now, the rationale of betting the eleven that you like instead of a mechanical parlay, betting that as a future because you think they're you're handicapping their path in a way, or you could almost say I'm neutral to their path. But you know what I know? They're not getting there if they got to play everyone. Right, but if 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 there's chaos and there's a bunch of upsets, this team's underrated. They might get there. Thus, I'm going to bet them on the future, lock in my price now, understanding the odds of there being a bunch of tumult and chaos are small. But that's the only way this team's making the final four. I think it's a great point. So in Loyola's case, if you identified Cincinnati and Virginia, the two and the one seeds, as being vulnerable, maybe not even all that vulnerable to Loyola in terms of matchups and the like, but just being vulnerable in general, Loyola might not have to play either one of them, and that's ultimately what happens. Yeah, and I think the next level is actually handicapping the other teams, but if you just love a team that's a, uh, a, a, a uh, let's say, a 10, 11, it's harder like a 12 because it's bucking so much history. There's only been one 12 or worse that's ever made the Elite Eight in the modern era. So let's say 11's the perfect example because 11's have made the yep. Elite Eight, and it, you know, and now the fifth time there's been a double digit seed in the final four is Loyola this year. 
is it's not even so much handicapping the opposition. It's saying I win only if they make the final four. And the only way this team makes the final four reasonably is if there's a couple of upsets. So you're almost saying the only way I'm going to cash this bet, if I do it as a mechanical parlay or as a future bet, the only way I'm going to cash this bet is if some upsets happen. Well, then if upsets happen, the mechanical parlay is going to get depressed. Yeah, and you're making me feel sick here, RJ, because all month long I talked about how Cincinnati is overrated, and I felt Virginia was overrated. It seemed like that that bracket certainly had that. So why didn't I land on Loyola 70-1? to And it comes down to you just don't have enough hours in the day sometimes to look at each and every bet and evaluate it. I am sick. I didn't have a 75 to 1 Loyola ticket. Pregame.com, finishing up our college basketball recap. We had the perfect. Speaking of upsets and stuff, Steve Cofield, co host of Straight Out of Vegas, he has a trend. It's been six straight years a seven seed or higher has made the final four. Uh, it Loyola this year, South Carolina in 2017 was a seven seed. Yes. Syracuse in 2016. Seven seed Michigan State in 2015. Eight seed Kentucky in 14. Ninth seed Wichita in 13. Eleven seed VCU in 11. So it's seven of eight and six straight. A seven seed or higher. What's amazing to me is there's a prop. What will be the summation of all the seeds that make the final four? And that number is ten and a half, RJ. Obviously, if you get a seven seed or worse team making the final four, unless you roll three ones and a seven, you're going to go over ten and a half. That's a bet to look at to make next year. Now, as I like to say, it's not yet trademark. Cinderella is invited to the dance, but she has a curfew. This is the 29th year of the last 30. The champion's been a four seed or better. So they'll let you play a while, but <laughs> the blue blood step up. Now, this was a year of upsets, and in some ways, not really. I mean, the 16, everyone's talking about, obviously, Loyola. But in a lot of other ways, there wasn't a bunch of bracket history made, but there was just a lot more upsets, modest most of the time, but still upset, upset, upset. And here's the stat. Perfect bracket odds, 63 out of 63. 2.9 quadrillion to one. So up on my Twitter, I've got all 63 of the spreadsheet figured out. A dollar would have became if you would have done a 63-teamer. And people say, well, you can't do that. And it's like, obviously, right? But this is <laughs> this is to represent how uh, chalky or doggy, <laughs> how dog-ridden the brackets were. So about 2.4 quadrillion. So there's million, billion, trillion, quadrillion. That's about 700 times less likely than last year. So last year was in the um, like six or seven, I'm going by memory here, six or seven trillion. Well, I guess more like five trillion to one last year. So five trillion last year and like almost three quadrillion this year. So it's about 700 times less likely. So this was certainly, certainly a uh, very uh, upset prone tournament. Okay. What do we got left? We got the 2018-19 odds, and then we're going to move on from college basketball. Brad, give us 30-second a team, couple teams that you have a little interest in early. 
Yeah, first off, Villanova 8-1, to one, the defending national champs. Uh, most likely will get five of their top six players back if Jalen Brunson decides to come back. He's projected as a late first-rounder, so that's not a lottery pick. There's a chance he could come back. I give it 50-50. Villanova, to me, at the end of the season, uh, on a neutral court, was going to be at least three points better than everyone, including a Duke team. Why not at 8-1 to one, if I'm going to be the prohibitive favorite coming into next season? A team's going to be really depending on who comes back. Malik Newman, Kansas, 8-1. to one. If he comes back, I think Kansas right there with Villanova, two best teams by far in the college basketball for next season. If you're looking for a long shot, I'll stay close to here at home. Nevada, 60-1. to one. I know Nevada probably won't win the, the title, but their top three players are all going to be back. And the thing I like about Nevada... Now, these, are we 100% certain of that? Well, the, here's, it's tough right now, RJ, and I won't make, I'm going to be very frank. I'm not going to make a futures bet until the NBA draft declares the early entries. Um, once that's announced, then I'll attack the market. And just to be clear, people ask on Twitter all the time, how can you put these odds out? You know who's playing? This is what Vegas does. Yep. This is what a handicapper does. We price uncertainty. There is uncertainty right now, but it's like you do the math. How good is this team? If they keep everybody, how good is this team if they lose one guy, two guy, three guys? And then what's the odds that they keep everyone? One guy, two guy, three guy. And it's really, you know, you hear about artificial intelligence and, and algorithms. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you can, you know, a child could have done on their Vic, their, uh, <laughs> their Vic 20 Commodore back in 1984. It's just a matter of defining the values of how good, you know, what's the power rating of this team in these four situations and what are the possibilities of the four situations that add up to a hundred, you can't necessarily do it in your head, but Fez, I mean, you love complexity, right? Absolutely. And you know, one parameter that I add in why I would not bet on Nevada is the complexity, the parameter that the committee does not want a mid major to go to the final four. So even if Nevada is power rated such that there's value at 60 to one, like Wichita State this year, I feel they'll give them an impossibly difficult draw compared to what they deserve. So, Brad, your point is you're not taking off the rubber band, but if you were, if someone gave you a thousand bucks or three hundred bucks and said, "Go have some fun, free roll," those are the teams you like. Re- just recap real quick. Yep. Uh, first off, Villanova, Kansas, and Nevada. And the reason Nevada, I right now, if those top three players come back, they're top 10, 12 team. Everyone else in the top 10 or 12 is priced at 25 to 1 or less, and I got 60 to 1. That's where I see the value in Nevada. And the other negative of a future this far out is they're holding your money. Now, yep. if you have a bookie that you can bet on credit, you know, the, the bar gets the bar gets lowered. Doesn't mean you necessarily want to do it um necessarily, but it's it, it, let's just say there's an extra negative if you have to post up. I did many time value of money calculations back getting that old finance degree at Ohio State. Really, not, not the, the prime rate so low now that, I mean, I guess when you're a better, the, it's not just the time value of money, but it's also what is the utility cost of not having that money in your bankroll. Exactly, because you can't use it to bet with it, and that may ultimately cost you a whole lot of units for tying it up. Can I mention one more thing? Distinguishing college football and college basketball. I don't attack a lot of the college basketball early because there's so many ebbs and flows in the season compared to college football where one or two losses, you're done. College basketball, I find a heck of a lot of value if a team loses three, four games in December. Then I decide to, to pounce on them and you get more value than betting them You know, four months before the season starts. Pregame.com, we are shifting gears to baseball. We've got 
some real tight, like little one minute, 90 second type feedback from Esler that I think is super, super actionable. And then after that, we're going to do a little bit of last week of the NBA season, overrated, underrated from Fez for the next week only. Two teams, one to play on, one to play against. And then I have bet more. I'm going to be candid. I've bet more on this year's Masters out of my pocket than any golf tournament ever. And we've actually got a special offer with that. And we're going to give you, I'm going to give a free pick here and uh, myself on one of the bets I made. And uh, also the biggest coupon pregame has ever given on the dream preview. So that's coming in a moment. First though, baseball, I asked Dave Esler. And if you haven't heard of Dave, your new listener, he's a legend. I think it's fair to say in the pregame.com forums and his written content, unbelievably good. He's been participating pre-recorded. He's lives in Florida lived uh, for decades in the Boston area, knows those teams especially well. And he's been giving us, you know, seven, eight, 10 minutes a day uh, of great content here on the dream preview, I guess a week each show. So let's start with the most overrated team in baseball right now. Who is Dave looking to fade? Remember, he's not going to fade them every game, but his default position is going to be fade this team And this is the one we actually had a back and forth on because I thought his point was so good. I wanted to clarify a few things. Here we go. My current overrated team this early in baseball is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They remind me of last year's Cubs team. Cubs won 114 games two years ago and were profitable. Last year they won 96 and you'd have lost 13 units if you bet on them every game. And that's tough for a 96-win team. Last year the Dodgers won 114 games. They've got nowhere to go but down. Uh, the Dodgers, they do it with pitching. They only hit 249 as a team. And they were 23rd in total base hits, which sort of surprised me. Uh, and if you look at their staff, Alex Wood had a career year. Uh, Ryu gave up 22 home runs in 126 innings. Rich Hill allowed 18 home runs. Uh, and the thing that got me there is both he and Ryu only average about five innings per start, which is that's really going to stress their middle relief. Uh, and then if you even look at Kershaw, uh, he's minus 300 or more eight times and you know where's the value in that in fact uh, he had a stretch last year where he went six of his eight starts where he was 300 or better a couple of times closer to minus 400 uh, four of those games are one run wins and two of them the Dodgers actually lost so there's there's no value here and even in the run line there so the Dodgers are my overrated team boy my instinct is to love love that overrated team the idea to fade them loving it because it's a premium team. It's a team that, as you said, Dave, had a great year last year. Also a team very popular. You've got the geographic proximity to Las Vegas. Another thing that I think leads to a little bit of extra expense. What I like to do when I find a team that I want to fade is I'd like to hear one or two specific areas where you think fading them is going to be especially profitable home road with this specific pitcher, or maybe fade them most of the time, but not with this specific pitcher. Could you give us one or two kind of narrowing pieces of advice when we look at the Dodgers? Well, one thing that really jumped out at me and, you know, I don't, I don't quite understand why they did this, but oftentimes baseball, I need to wait for lineups because it's, is since all of a sudden this guy sits, it's not unlike the NBA. 
Uh, but when the Dodgers sit Seager, uh, Grandal, and Logan Forsyth, they get really weak when they have to put you know, Hernandez, Barnes, and Farmer in there. And, and, and that's an instance where, I mean, I almost think they're almost an auto-fade. All right, we're back. So, thoughts, Fess? Love it. The Dodgers season win number was 96 and a half. And one of their key players, their third baseman, Justin Turner, broke a, a bone in, in his hand. And the wise guys bet under. So it dropped to 95 and a half. But as Dave mentioned, very public team, the Dodgers didn't drop nearly as much as I think it should have. And just last night, RJ, they have a completely unhittable closer. Jansen, he is the best in the business. Three run lead against Arizona. And he gives it up and the Dodgers blow a three run lead in the bottom of the ninth conclusion. Hey, one game sample. That's a game that Jansen, whose velocity is down this year, would never have given up last year. So a red flag with their closer, a starter out already, very public team that isn't going to be as good. Love the play. And I thought the comparison of the Cubs last year was interesting where a team wins 96 games and down 16 units. <laughs> so the bar to, there's, it seems like the inflation on a team because the Cubs win total last year would have been what? I mean, it certainly wasn't 96, was it? It was right around 96. Yeah. So let's just say they met expectations based on the over-under season win, but they lose 16 units. Mm. So it shows you that pre- it would seem the premium is built into the daily line so much more than it is even the season win totals. You know, that'd be an interesting bet. I never thought of this. Imagine a casino that said you can auto bet at the open this team every game. Like if you could, but I guess you can't fade a team every game, right? But how would that work? Because, yeah, I guess you could. But then I, I guess being down 16 units, you still wouldn't think you'd make money that. But I wonder if they would give you like a five cent line or a three cent line, even if you were willing to bet him every game. Maybe that would be the mechanics of it. They'd have to give you. Like super reduced juice. I, I love the idea that Dodgers are minus one eighty each and every game, but you got to bet all one hundred and sixty two of them to to fade them. Let's say yeah. or to play on them. But either way, instead of it being minus one eighty plus one sixty, maybe you'd be able to get either you know minus uh, you know minus one seventy plus one sixty five, and you know assuming there's more of the the straddle in the favor, and now all of a sudden though you're betting every day. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Waiting for you to open up that book. <laughs> couple years, a couple more years. Underrated, but but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because I think I could do, we could do some stuff so different, but we still would be dastardly. Because oh, all bookies are dastardly. Fair enough. But, so there'd have to be like, a, you know, a hundred million in it, then I'd be dastardly. Okay. <laughs> it's a higher bar. What's the old saying? Like, they asked the girl, uh, you know, will you sleep with me for money? Like in a movie. And it's like, no, how about a million dollars? It's like, well, yeah. It's like, so we know the price. Oh, we know what you are. Now we just got to negotiate the price. Underrated team. And uh, this one is uh, shorter, and it is the White Sox. White Sox, underrated. My underrated team, you know, and this will probably make some people think a little bit, uh, is the Chicago White Sox. You know, I guess maybe people would say whenever Shields isn't pitching, but... You can't have everything. And to me, it's totally addition by subtraction. You know, you take Derek Holland and Mike Pelfrey out of their rotation uh, from last year, and they were 14 and 33 
when those two started. Both of them had an ERA over six. Now they bring in Lucas Giolico and Ronaldo Lopez, who they've got uh, both in a trade with Washington for Adam Eaton. And Giolito was the third, third best, third highest ranked minor league prospect. And Lopez was 38th, which, which doesn't suck. Uh, and then you've got Hector Santiago, who's generally serviceable. They picked up Miguel Gonzalez from Baltimore. And you look at him, he, he's nothing special, but he's got a career whip of 1.3. And that's certainly serviceable. You've got Soria in the back end. He might be aging, but last year in 56 innings with the Royals, he allowed exactly one home run. And I think Nate Jones is one of the better setup men if he can stay healthy. He's averaging over a strikeout an inning. Uh, and what's interesting, RJ, is last year they went 67-95, and 95, which is 28 games under 500. If you'd have bet on them every single game, you'd have lost, if you bet a unit every time, four-tenths of a unit. And at home, you would actually would have made money. Uh, so people don't, people don't take into consideration that money line, the great equalizer. If they're plus 150, you've only got to win 40% of your games to, to break even. And they won 41% last year. Uh, so they're only going to get better. White Sox undervalued. And what I love about this is it's matching what I saw from the sharp marketplace. The White Sox got opened 68 for their season win number. No team moved more than the White Sox. They closed as high as 72 for season wins, a four game movement, but it was under the radar because they're still viewed as a door as a bottom feeder. No one really noticed that movement on their season win number. Last up for Dave Esler before his free pick, which will be at the end of the show for Wednesday's baseball. And I also have a free, a special RJ free pick on the masters is overrated, underrated pitchers. It's one sound file. It's short. And he's starting out with the most overrated pitcher right now is John Lester. Uh, and, and you don't need to look any further with him than who's behind the plate. Uh, before David Ross retired, uh, he had caught 89 of Lester's games. Lester had a 2.75 ERA and a 3.80 strikeout to walk ratio. Now Wilson Contreras, and it's a pretty fair comparison because he's caught 80 of Lester's games, 4.28 ERA, a run and a half higher, 2.83 strikeout to walk ratio, a run lower. With Ross, 1.02 whip. Without Ross, 4.33 ERA. And last year, he allowed more home runs in a season than he did at any time in his career. Uh, and if you want to go one step further, he's feasted on weak teams and not so much on good teams. And my underrated pitcher, maybe off the radar for a lot of people, is Dylan Bundy of the Orioles. Last season, he started off really well. He had a 2.89 ERA through 10 starts, and then he kind of faltered. And what that appears to me is, is a big jump in innings. He, he had 60 more innings last year. And, and what the Orioles did to him was almost like what the Cardinals did to Michael Walker after his big World Series thing. And in his third year, he fell apart. But Baltimore's already said they'd be conscious of his workload, and they're giving him an extra day uh, between starts, just between starts one and two. On opening day, 88 pitches through seven innings, only walking one. you got to remember, this kid in the minors, 126 hits in 167 innings with six home runs allowed. Some value on Dylan Bundy uh, when he's pitching for the Orioles. It's pretty obvious Dave has that a deep, deep depth of knowledge in baseball. Any thoughts on the pitchers? I love the fade, Lester. Here's a guy who pitched for the Boston Red Sox. He's getting on in age, RJ. He can't hold runners over on. He doesn't like to throw over to first base. He's so paranoid. He's a bad fielder. He can't hit a lick. So there's a lot of other reasons to not like him. He opens up in Florida against the Marlins, who can't hit a lick and has a bad 
starting outing. I think he's an auto fade all April and May. And again, to me, most of the time you're not automatically fading or playing on, but you're starting there. But obviously, whatever that intrinsic value is playing on or off a team is if it's big enough, no circumstances could be enough to get you off it. But most of the time it's going to be, okay, I want two points of value. They're a, let's say the Dodge. And again, we're talking spreads now. So let's just say the team is a point underrated. Now you've only got to make up half as much with situation or whatever else, but you still got to make up that last point. So I think when I hear auto fade, I, I, I think Though it can happen, it's so rare we should be careful to saying it. We do have to be careful, but because Lester pitches for the Cubs, there's no team that is as public as the Cubs. And I would so argue. You're saying you might have a nickel edge fade in the Cubs anyway, with Lester might be another 10 or 15 cents. You're already at your 20 cents. But now the question is is there anything negative that's, that you got to subtract from the 20? But I hear you. I hear you. It, it does seem to be a borderline. P- perfect storm with him being with Lester with the Cubs. That Esler, he's good at baseball. No doubt. Follow him on Twitter at Dave underscore Esler, E-S-S-L-E-R. That's Dave underscore Esler. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now, a quick college football update. Brad, next week, you're going on vacation back to Ohio. More of an obligation than a vacation. (laughs) You know, I've heard that line before, but that's a good one. (laughs) I wonder where. (laughs) But in two weeks, so we'll have a special guest next weekend with Faz and I on the Dream Preview. And I'm not, listen, Brad, you should know. You might think, RJ, make me, you know, don't make me feel insecure. Get someone not as good as me. So everyone's happy when I get, because you don't want them thinking, oh, Brad's back. Ooh. I like But that. I don't think that's even possible. You've been so rock solid this year. Thank you. Is, well, maybe with some people, but not the majority, I think. So in two weeks, though, we're going to be starting a weekly on the Dream Preview college football education. Um, in fact, in two weeks, we're going to do something special. We're going to do the world premiere of Fez's top 10 in the NFL. And Brad, you're going to do an update of your top 10 in two weeks. And then after, we're going to have all kind of fun topics in college football, like sleeper teams, five teams that are 20 to one or better. You think have a chance to win the title, most improved teams. We're going to grade the head coaches, the new hires and preview every conference, all the major ones for sure. And you're going to have a pick an underrated and overrated team in each. And you're betting either with a win total or future bet. Every one of your overrated underrated. So there'll be 10 plus bets. Yep. Five major conferences. We'll probably do even more than that. And Fez, you're going to be doing little chunks of the NFL each week. So we're really excited about our football previewing through the spring. You are going to be ready. It's not that far off. You're going to be ready for this August, for sure. Okay, NBA, Fez. A lot of people are scared. I mean, literally scared of the last week of the NBA regular season. I think it's a huge opportunity. 
So let's do it quick, high level, just a few real actionable. How do you approach Steve Fezzik, who NBA is your second best sport. How do you approach the last week of the NBA regular season? Very similar to week 17 in the NFL. It is all about motivation, RJ. I'm looking for teams that are going to give maximum effort that are somewhat under the radar, maybe not even playoff teams. And I'm looking to fade playoff teams that have little to nothing to play for that may well meld in, similar to, say, the Eagles did against the Cowboys at the end of the regular season in football. So the question always is, does the market account for this? And the answer is oftentimes no. The and, and sometimes it accounts for it, but doesn't account for it enough. All right. So it's playoff teams who maybe they're locked in or maybe they're not, but they're indifferent to where they go or maybe even motivated to drop because they think it's going to be a better run. Is there any teams you look at that you question if they want to hold their position, they might want to drop one? In the East, it may well happen because right now Cleveland is in the number three hole. It's possible Cleveland could fall lower if they slump. If that happens, it could create havoc with what some teams will want to do in terms of their seedings. So three plays six. Is there any way for six to get out of six and go to? Because six would rather play the Celtics at seven, right? They're all jumbled right now, right? So yeah. Boston's locked in. So there, as we get towards the end. Because obviously, now, are, are the eight Eastern teams locked in, or is there a possibility that there's someone that's at the bottom could drop out of the playoffs? The East is locked in with the top eight. It's just a matter of the seedings. So if you're six, seven, or eight, who wants to win and get to six? Yeah, six looks to be death having to play Cleveland right now. Yeah, but and no. Obviously, lock- you wouldn't want to be eight because Toronto's mighty good. But it's too early. Seven is where you want to be. It, it, it seven looks to be optimal with a Celtic team that's not nearly as good as Toronto and won't be as good as Cleveland uh, when they go ahead and bump their power rating up playoff style. Um, because we talk about Cleveland having another gear, right? Yes. So, but still, have we got an updated odds on the Eastern Conference? Um, because we had it not that long ago is the Cavs were plus 200 and Toronto was actually minus money to win the East. Correct. And now Toronto and Cleveland are close to equal. They're both right around plus 125 plus 150. And the reason that Toronto has dropped, they were minus 125 RJ is because the Philadelphia 76ers have played much better and people feel that, and Boston's playing much better. So there's some dark horses that could appear to be a contender in the East. Okay, so one of the things we really strive to is when you start rattling off a bunch of stuff, you got to explain and make sure we all understand. So when you say the 76ers are playing good, I'm assuming what you mean is, okay, one is Toronto, Sixers are going to play in the four and five. In the second round, if Sixers win the first round, if Sixers are an upgraded team, that second round matchup is going to be tougher. It, it is, and it's possible. So first, a firm... Because you do realize you didn't say that. The 76ers would be a much tougher team than we thought Toronto would have to play if they wind up playing in the playoffs. So this isn't a downgrade of Toronto. It's saying their path has gotten more difficult. That's correct. But the path is still ambiguous. We're not sure the 76ers could land as high up as a number three seed still. Right now, if you had to bet Toronto or Cavs last longer, who do you bet? Toronto. Interesting. I agree with that. But it has been a chance. I mean, Cavs were just plus 200 not that long ago. Okay, so the theory is a good, because we know teams that are tanking 
aren't trying to win. Now, what do you do with tanking teams? Do you, uh, is the market probably accounting for the fact that if they're tanking in February, they're tanking in April? The market is very much accounting for the tankers and there is a premium to be paid to play against them. The one thing I like to do with the totals when two tanking teams play RJ, I like to play it over typically. However, these tanking teams are putting out lineups that are so bad and playing these guys in the fourth quarter because they don't want to win that these guys can't shoot. So it's dangerous to go over right now. So there's really two types of tanking. One is you've got your best players out there, but they're not playing super hard. All right. And number two is you're just putting out incompetent players which you're incompetent on offense too. Yes, and the latter is what's happening with a lot of teams. The Chicago Bulls have shut down three of their guards already for the rest of the year. Only one of them is injured. They don't want to win any more games. All right, so you've got two teams, one you're looking to play on, one you're looking to play against. Who are you looking to play on? We're going to play on the Brooklyn Nets. They're a team that isn't very good. They lose two-thirds of their games, but they don't have a number one draft pick. They have no incentive to not uh, to, 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 they have an incentive to win, not to lose. And I would argue an even bigger incentive because of the PR nightmare. They don't want more ping pong balls and to get a top pick in the draft when they don't have it. And so here's a team that has one of their key players, Hollis Jefferson. He was hurt for a while over the course of the year. And they're better than all of these tanking teams. And in fact, RJ, in the last week, there's five or six games remaining. They play the Chicago Bulls twice. The Bulls are one game in front of them in the standings. I think the Bulls want to lose. I think Brooklyn wants to win. I'm going to bet on Brooklyn in both those games. Okay, so play on, not blindly, but you're looking to play on Brooklyn. Who are you looking to fade? I am looking to fade the 28-2 and Houston Rockets, the best team in the NBA right now. And I want to be in front of the point where Houston goes ahead and stops giving maximum effort. They just have wrapped up the number one seed. I expect that we see in their final four games that the Rockets will suddenly coast, rest some players, certainly play everyone with limited minutes, but because they're power rated through the roof by everyone, we're going to get solid value to go against the Rockets. They'll continue to play their guys in most cases, but I think they're going to get far fewer minutes. Similar question to what we asked about the East. Right now, even money, Golden State, Houston last longer. Who do you got? Wow. So close. It is. You know, I'm going to go back to Golden State. The fact that they're getting everyone back, but Curry, uh, Thompson's coming back, Durant's coming back. If As long as Curry is 80%, I still just can't see Houston as good as they've been beating them in the conference finals. You know, I agree with you again. I think that if you look at Coach Kerr, it seems like all the things people are freaking out or a lot of the things people are freaking out over, he foresaw happening. And people are saying maybe he was a little bit too lax and he's allowed this to happen by, uh, you know, making it a self-fulfilling prophecy by saying it would likely happen. Or maybe he knew it was going to happen. And thus the psychology of it happening is such that since he knew it was going to happen, they're not going to freak out over it. So I think there's a, now the injuries obviously are separate, right? And, and if Curry's not healthy, I think, I mean, that's an interesting question is what is the golden state power rating without Curry? I mean, they're still probably better than the Cavs, right? Oh, they're better than the Cavs. Yeah. So only Houston, they'd be the second best team going state without Curry. Yes. But the Rockets are certainly better. Yeah. if, If Curry can't play. 
I mean, you think the Rockets are a smidge better now. It's just the whole playoff X factor. Right? Yeah, we're going to bump Golden State up two and a half points when they go into the playoffs. But then we're going to lower them. But the first round of the playoffs, maybe not. With, right? Without Curry, we got to take take three and a half points back off for his lack of being there. He, like Joe Pesci says, he bets like an effing brain surgeon. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter. A lot of good stuff. I'm sure you'll get during the last week of the NBA regular season. It's at Fezzik Sports. F e z z i k. All right, guys, we've got my Masters free pick. We've got some Masters analysis and a special offer. Biggest coupon ever on the Dream Preview. And we've got Dave Esler's free pick in Wednesday's baseball. That will be the very last thing. First, though, our one and only commercial break. Okay, guys. Masters, we talked about it, is Tiger Woods. He is generating so much interest. And one of the sponsors with Podcast One is BetDSI. We are a Podcast One podcast, the Dream Preview. And this Masters Week is going to be unlike, I think, any in a long time. And let's think about it. If you can play, win, and get paid, that's their little catchphrase at BetDSI. Play? That sounds fun. Win? That sounds fun. Get paid? Well, that's the key. And we've got a special offer from BetDSI.com. And we mentioned Tiger Woods is back. And to me, that creates a big opportunity. I told you guys, I've bet more on this golf tournament than any ever. And I'll be talking about why in a little bit. But a lot of it is the the not dead money that is being bet on Tiger because I think he has a chance. But I think it's some really net negative money in that pool. And that means there's a lot of opportunities out there. BetDSI.com, over 20 years in the business, top rated and safe. Check out BetDSI.com and check out this offer. Free $25 bonus. All you got to do, use promo code DREAM25. That's all one word. DREAM, the number two, the number five. That's DREAM25 to claim this limited time offer. Listen, guys, not much going on for the casual batter. You guys aren't casual, but for the casual batter after this week, I guess up to what the NBA finals, maybe you could say. So I don't know for sure, but I doubt that DSI will be using this bonus before football season much, if at all. So this is, I think, in fact, I'd make a major bet, a last chance for a while. So it's a free $25 bonus. Use promo code dream 25. And if you want to put money up, 100% 100% bonus on your first deposit. Fez is writing stuff down. Uh-oh. <laughs> Bet DSI doesn't know what hit him. All right. If you just... <laughs> All right. And by the way, they're talking about, oh, Tiger Woods, he's plus 850. A $50 play can get you 420. Forget that. You're too... Listen, if you're listening to Dream Preview, you're not playing Tiger. If you are, I'll forgive you. But look in the mirror. Great customer service, free, easy payment of winnings, and their options include fantasy matchups and player versus player wagers on the golf. And that's something we're going to be talking about. I think the way to get at Tiger and fade Tiger are these matchups, plus live in-game wagering on all major sporting events. Like we said, I think this is the last chance for a while. Special limited time, $25 bonus offer. Just use Dream 25 and you've got 25 bucks to bet any way you want. That's at betdsi.com, dream25. 
25. And lastly, our old friends at True Car. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with the terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but does what does it actually mean? The same goes for terms like invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse even a wise guy. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees, accessories, before you even get to the dealership. Fez, knowledge is power. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Say it. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. You know, that was a catchphrase. Do, do it as the macho man. Oh, yeah. Knowledge is power. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's the one imitation he does. Yes. It's good. You know, the Andre doc's coming up, but you're banned for life from ever doing an Andre imitation. I thought it was just banned this year. Nope. Life. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll let you do one next week in, in honor of of the, the Andre Doc, the ringer's putting out. True car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because true car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this. So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. Winning, baby. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. As we always say, some features not available in all states, which means if it is available, you've got an edge. Best bets down the home stretch. First, the Masters. I tell you guys, I dug into the golf. As you've been talking on the Dream Preview, or I'm sorry, on here and on the Straight Out of Vegas National Fox show about, hey, how do you get at Tiger? And the theory is you fade him on the matchups because he's going to be, you know, a little bit of an underdog against the best golfers in the world, but he should be much more than a little bit of an underdog. So I've got a guy here in town I've known for a while. He really knows golf. I rekindled our communication. And I met a couple guys online. One guy I've been talking to by DM and one guy that he turned me on to that I've just been reading his stuff. And there's been multiple people here amongst the pros as you've been involved is we put together a special package. If you want to bet golf the way we're betting golf specifically for this masters, but boy, the handicapping approach, I'm going to rattle off some stuff they've been talking about. The type of grass on a course matters. Not just the greens, but the in the fairways. How forgiving the fairways are, so wide or narrow, because how accurate are you off the tee? The wind throughout the days and how wind affects a certain player's, that course specifically or and or the player. How important the length off the tee. Now, you guys may or may not know this, but the llama... He's long. <laughs> Big hitter off the tee. Hey, Lama. Hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort? <laughs> Big hitter. The <laughs> That's awesome. Righty and lefties draw and fade. Certain courses really benefit that. Course experience. And Matt, the, uh, Augusta specifically, if you come at it, you know, they say you miss right. 
Doesn't even matter. You miss left in some holes, you're in you're, you know, bogey time or vice versa. How do you know that? Course experience. How much does putting matter on a given course? Um, you know, this is one I had never thought of. Some courses you expect, let's say, the winner to be, you know, minus three, some courses minus 16. How good is that golfer if he has to get super aggressive and go for birdies, right? Which is a high variance game. Because obviously, if going for birdies was the right answer, always everyone would do it. So, how good are, is this golfer with high variance aggressiveness? And how good is the golfer with low variance? And what's required on a course? I mean, that is a powerful concept. There's a, the fellow on Twitter I've been talking with, and he puts out some good golf stuff. He's not, he's private, and he's not selling anything. It's spelled Collie, or, or it's pronounced Collie Cat One. So, C U L L Y. C-A-T-1. All, and the one is the number one. Interesting stuff. And also current uh, current form, right? And this came from about that current form, uh, the Twitter account Future of Fantasy. And he's saying, okay, if you look at the last three or four events, how many shots off a lead has the golfers been? So Justin Thomas has only been in three events, 1.7 shots off the lead. So by far the best form. Mickelson second, four events, only four shots off the lead on average. Dustin Johnson third. And uh, Garcia is fifth. So Garcia, Johnson, Mickelson, Thomas, uh, real good recent form. Um, let's see here. Oh, here's something interesting from uh, the future fantasy guy. Par fives at Augusta, which is, this is where you got to make up your, uh, or let's say get your negative numbers going. Since 2003, how has every golfer done, if it was just a leaderboard since 2003, on just par fives at Augusta? Phil Mickelson, minus 123. Wow. He's 123 under par since 2003. Phil Mickelson. Tigers, number two, 87 under. So big Drop, but Tiger missed last year, obviously, and I think some others. And uh, Sergio's third, minus 85. So as much as Mickelson, oh, he's older, he's got a big name, he feels like fade material. He's got the second best form, and he is a killer on the par five. Doesn't mean I want to play on him, but my default would be to look to play against him. Now this, I boy, I got some heat on Twitter. Jeez, these, uh, I mean, there should be an IQ test on Twitter, but... <laughs> I guess not. So this is what I put out on my account. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. The last 10 winners at Augusta. So each and every one of them. And this is from on Twitter at Dave Tyndall golf, T I N D A L L. And he had a list of like five criteria that all 10 have met. But I found these two interesting was younger than 40 years old. And made the cut at Augusta the previous year. Tiger Woods is 42 years old. Tiger Woods did not make the cut at last year's Masters. Now, the brain surgeons <laughs> on Twitter are like, oh, he didn't play in last year's Masters. Oh. And thus, he didn't make the cut. It didn't say that he missed the cut. So what they're saying is if you don't have consistent form here, it's hard to just kind of emerge. Now, obviously, Tiger has a pedigree here, right? So I think, Fez, 
And I think the way to do it, if you just do it blind, you're probably, you know, even money, maybe, I don't know, even, I think. But if you can find guys that should overperform at Augusta and look to fade them, and we've got 10 separate bets in this package I put together, and me and some other people in the office, I think there's real value. I think Tiger's just giving value to a lot of different bets for the Masters. Absolutely. And frankly, I lack the golf handicapping acumen to identify. Well, that's why we have the collective IQ here. Exactly. I get the concept. Let me bet against Tiger and select matchups. And then I got to go to others and tell me which one of these golfers is undervalued that I can bet on against Tiger to make my largest bets. We made a real effort with this. I, like I said, I bet the most I ever have on the mass or any golf tournament. So we've got, um, let's see here. We've got 10 different picks in this package. So it's seven matchups. They don't all involve Tiger seven matchups. So it's player a versus player B and we think we've got a big edge on all. They're all at least two-star picks, and there's one that does involve Tiger that's a three-star. That's our top-rated best bet. And we've got three golfers to win the tournament, and one of those is in the 12-to-1 range, one is in the 20-to-1 range, and one is in the 30-to-1 range. So we got a nice hybrid three individuals to, to win the tournament, and you're getting all that, the seven matchups, and the three, and here's a coupon just exclusively for Dream Preview listeners if you're interested. It's Masters 15, M-A-S-T-E-R-S, the number one, the number 15, all one word, all caps, Masters 15. You pick, now here's the beauty. If you want the Masters package, it's there. There's only one of them. It's the GM of picks, we called it, because it's kind of a pregame consensus. So you can put that in and you get $15 off or you can use it on anything else. NBA, you can use it on baseball, but it expires on Thursday. So you've got Wednesday and Thursday to use it. Obviously, if you have any interest in betting the golf, I would look at that package and you can bet with us or on anything you want. Masters 15, all one word that's in the shopping part, shopping cart, coupon code. And there you go. All right. Any closing thoughts on the golf? I'm excited. I just wanted to ask you one question in terms of these golfers to win it all. Will you bet a full unit on those or will you bet half a unit on those more long shot bets? You know, we got them in as a one star. And and since I think there's just so much, I mean, if anything, obviously if Tiger's in the head to head, there's going to be value. But I think he's uh, offered some over, not an overlay to the whole, uh, let's just say a um, bump up in you know, potential overlay to the whole, all the leaders, right? I mean, what would Roy McIlroy, and I'm just reading the the number one favorite right now, what would Roy McIlroy be if Tiger wasn't in this tournament? He's 10 to one now. Would he be eight to one? Would he be seven to one? Probably be seven or eight to one. That's a great point. So because Tiger Woods is in there with all that Tiger Woods money, you're getting 20% increase in your payouts on everyone else. It feels like that's the case. So I, listen, I, I'm a gambler at heart, I, I so but I'm an investor, and, you know. No sex, no booze, no drugs. Our little roller is a purist. He's a goddamn thoroughbred. All he cares about is the next hand. 
Now, I'd be thinner if that were the case, but let's just say <laughs> I do like the action. And if I feel like that we're getting, you know, if I can bet 10 bets and at worst we're break even, but we, we, I think we have a nice edge here. I'm going for it. So I, again, I don't bet golf much. So I took off the rubber band. I'll say that. So masters 15 and let's see, we just got Dave's best bet. Yeah. Left. Right. That's it. Oh, I was going to give a freebie here. And what I'm given is, and actually this is one of the 10 is I have Spieth, Jordan Spieth in the heads up matchup against tiger. I think Jordan, now he's the one he's a little pricey. Uh, he's, you know, the second favorite in the tournament, I think, and our guys think best chance to win. So I'm taking the very best chance to win the Masters versus Tiger. And uh, that's one of my bets. And, and we'll give that baby out as a free pick. And even if you're not going to bet much. So obviously, if you only want to bet one, you don't need to buy the package. But if you want to take full advantage, the package is there. Here comes one more best bet. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. I was doing like a little walk like the Egyptian. You remember that song? Yeah, Bangles. Oh 1986, my God. I think. How do you like how old were you in 86? Three. How did you did, did you like study the eighties? I love the when 80s. When you were alone up. in your room, it was yeah. like you were looking through like the 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 um <laughs> Lindy's annual. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I do have Lindy's annuals probably being back in the early nineties. I'll take a picture of my bookcase one of these days. <laughs> oh, I, I I actually would be interested in that. Just hide stuff that's you know <laughs> you know. Make sure it's PG. Yeah. Here go ahead. I've got my beyond counting book under lock and key. I found it. Oh, oh, the one we were talking about. It took you a while to find it. I, it did. How much that book sells like for two thousand bucks, doesn't it? And I've got it all. <laughs> <laughs> Dirtiest player in the game. Here is Dave Essler with his free pick for Wednesday. Interleague game in San Francisco. Uh, right now, that's at the under is at seven. Uh, it's juiced heavily to the. You know, let me jump in. He, um, he has under in the Giants Mariners. Now I'm going to let him give the analysis, but. I was laughing so hard, I forget I was supposed to tell the game. So Wednesday action, under Giants-Mariners. Here comes the analysis. Over, I think it's minus 125, so you might could steal a 7.5, uh, which is pretty important because you see a lot of 3-3 three to three games, and 3-3 three to three ends 4-3, to three, and that's a win at 7.5. Quite a um, one hit the Dodgers on opening day. In interleague play, he's 14-7 and seven with a whip of 1.10. Then you got Felix on the other side. Uh, he's 3-0 against the Giants, so which one's going to falter? I say neither. Uh, in 102 at-bats against Hernandez, the current Giants have exactly three home runs, two by Pablo Sandoval, 32 strikeouts. It's a great pitcher's park. Uh, Nelson Cruz would have probably been out anyway because Seattle's not going to get a DH. Now he's on the DL. Giants have scored two runs in four games. And lastly, it's a 4.15 p.m. Pacific time, so we may see some shadows, which will make the bullpens perhaps a little better than they are. So I like the under in that game. Under Giants Mariners. Any thoughts, Fess? Love it, especially because Cueto has become the ace of the Giants. Uh, Mad Bum got uh, a broken wrist, a broken finger, I believe. He's out for six weeks. So Cueto really stepped it up, was in top form. And I love that twilight start, that 415 with those funky shadows that come in, especially when we've the marine layer. Anyone who's been in the bay sees the fog rolling in. There's a lot to like about this play.
All right, last thing, Brad. So you're going to go back to Ohio. Is do you have how many girls do you have mm. that you're thinking? Okay, I was on the brain, or maybe even you know you have a past. Who knows? Or maybe you were working it. And think about the last verse of the Stone Satisfaction. He goes, I'm driving around the world and I'm doing this and I'm signing that and I'm trying to work some girl. But she says, baby, come back maybe next week. (laughs) Can't you see I'm on a losing streak? So, which is a whole other podcast. (laughs) Little menstruation talk in the Stone song. But, but. I'm guessing you've got a handful that you see at the bar and there's always this extra spark. And now you figure, Hey, you've become pretty famous. You're in Vegas. You could show your Twitter account. Like what's the plan? Uh, the plan. Uh, how, yeah. First of all, how many? Three, maybe there's three. Yeah, that's it. Uh, have you, that's are it. you in communication? Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, I'm coming back, baby. Yeah. And is it like, do you have, an, you have three that you have a date planned with already? No, no, no. There's so three it's like kind of meet at the bar. Yeah. There's three opportunities to be had. And on a scale of one to 10, how go from a descending order. Is there, now listen, we're talking Vegas 10. So we know that's, a, is there a Vegas eight in the mix? No. Vegas seven. No. <laughs> you gotta love the honesty. I Fats, think we don't want any girl yeah, talk from you. Yeah. Music. He's just going to play under my thumb, go back home and, just rock it with his college football preparatory work. What language is he even speaking? But now I'm turning your mic off. Fez's mic is off. Oh, okay. Nothing from Fez. Try to talk into the mic. Yeah, I'd like to add. Yeah, can't hear Can't hear you. All right, so three got no no sevens? No sevens. Six? There's got to be a dude. Yeah, maybe a six. Maybe. A Vegas six? This is Ohio we're talking about, RJ. Still a Vegas six. All right. Okay. But listen, everyone's thinking, why is he being so honest? All right. So is it just you're going to meet him at the bar? I mean, how's it going to meet him? Yeah. I now do you have true feelings here? No. no. (laughs) (laughs) Now, are you thinking they might listen to the pod, but you figure they won't get like almost two hours listen to the pod. (laughs) Otherwise, those chances went went down (laughs) to say the least. Now, are, are you how are you trying to leverage your success and fame without Looking too douchey. Uh, it's not much to leverage it uh, back. Like, where I you grew try- up. Oh, so they know like the words out that you're, that you're a success. No, not that. I mean, it's just, it doesn't take much to, to just see that I'm more successful than most, <laughs> at least coming out of that area. But <laughs> <laughs> like you have a haircut that costs more than 10 bucks. I mean, no, like, it's just, you could, <laughs> It doesn't take much to be better than the guy that drives. Uh, so these are local girls. Yeah. So you're going to play. I mean, are you good? Would you possibly say, hey, maybe you could move to Vegas? Oh, wow. Like, Man. let's say you hit back. How long are you going to be back there? A week. All right. So let's say first night with the one that you are most interested in. You hook up and uh, let's just say you um, let's say you fall a little short of your goal. But. You're close. Now, do you think about saying like like dangling out? Who knows where this could go, baby? Kind of thing. I could do that because two of them wanted knowing, to come with knowing me. that it was a blatant lie. Yeah, I I could do that. I could see myself now, doing that. You were gonna say two what, what two you, wanted to come with me anyways twenty months ago when I made the move. So how wouldn't they just be lined up now then? 
I haven't had great communication with but, them since. Listen, you think they're mad. They're not. Yeah. They're mad because you didn't take them. Now they're figuring they have. Say, just show up and say, listen, I'm going to give you a chance to convince. But be clear. Say, odds are against it. <laughs> right? But I'm going to, if you blow my mind this week, who knows? Maybe. I think that's the move with those All two. Right. But the other one, that, the, other, the third one's the best one? The third one's the best one. And you would consider, let's just to be clear, you would consider telling, you know, hinting or being even being explicit that, hey, you blow my mind this week, who knows? Even though it's a lie. Sure, why not? I'm the dirtiest player <laughs> in the game. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.